Please sit. Great. Um, let me pray before we look at the word. Father, we thank you so much for your word, that it is powerful and that it changes us. Uh, please do this now through your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Uh, I'm, I'm, a <coughs> I'm a football fan. Uh, I enjoy watching uh, West Ham. Um, I have, usually I have little reason to find joy in West Ham, um, but actually at the moment we're into a final. It's not a very big final, but it's a Europa Conference League uh, competition. Um, but I still have something to enjoy. Uh, but anyways, West Ham aside, in football it's clear uh, who supports who. Uh, take West Ham again, for example. The stadium, you see lots of people in West Ham tops. That's quite clear. And it's probably because they support West Ham. Uh, if you saw people walking around with the players or asking for their signatures, it's probably because they support West Ham. Um, if you walk around and see people in the stadium, they probably support West Ham. The way you act and what you do make it seem like you have a connection to West Ham. Uh, but what about Christians? If Jesus isn't here today physically, um, Christ is the reason for being a Christian. If he isn't here, how will people know you're his disciples how will people know any of us are his disciples? Uh, maybe we could wear a kit too. Uh, maybe we could have a t-shirt with I'm on Jesus' team um, splattered across it. Uh, I love Jesus. What makes you look like a disciple? Is it your great teaching in Sunday school or at the front here? Uh, is it the way when you're in your home groups, you really get into the text and you say some of the best answers? Um, you really understand what it's saying. And maybe some people even speak a couple of Bible languages. Maybe that looks, makes you look like a Christian. And maybe around non-Christian family, uh, the way you present Jesus, the articulated comments and responses to difficult questions. And maybe that's how we stand out in the world uh, as one of his disciples. Maybe it's work for charity. Maybe you do recycling. I don't know, maybe you recycle all your stuff at home. And maybe use public transport instead of driving. And what is it about you that makes you stand out in this world as a Christian? If Jesus isn't actually here physically, how will people know we're his disciples? And I think we'll see this answer uh, in the text. And we're going to have two points today. And our first point uh, from the passage uh, is the Father and Son glorify each other. The Father and Son glorify each other. Each other. So our first couple of verses, we see what the Father, God the Father, and Son, God the Son, do for each other. We see the extent in which they glorify each other. Uh, if you um, keep, your, if you open your Bibles, if they're not already open, uh, look down with me at verse 31. Uh, when he was gone, so Judas, the one uh, who has been revealed as a traitor uh, in the previous verses to our section, he leaves. Judas leaves to start the events going to Jesus' death. And Jesus now wants to talk about what will happen after his death. And the first way he explains to them um, that, that, he's go, that it's going to be better once he's gone is that by leaving, Jesus leaving is a massive glory moment. So chapter 13, verse 31, until the end of chapter 17, Jesus is saying what life will be like when he's gone. He wants to comfort them and explain to them actually why it's going to be better when he's gone. 
In dying and raising from the dead and ascending, going to the Father, he is glorifying his Father. And God the Father is glorifying him. Only by him leaving in this way can he and the Father be glorified. Now these are a wonderful couple of chapters about why it's better that Jesus does actually leave. Uh, So reading from verse 31 again. Uh, When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. Uh, In John, if you've read it before, you would have seen that Jesus has used this uh, Son of Man title already quite a few times. Um, It's a title for Jesus. Uh, In chapter 12 it says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then a few verses later it says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So he's referenced the Son of Man as being lifted up, so being killed. And back in chapter 12, we saw that the Son of Man would be lifted up and killed. So when Jesus is speaking about this Son of Man, um, it's, it's about him being glorified. He's speaking about dying. This glorification, the Son of Man being glorified, is dying. So when Judas leaves, uh, Jesus says, now the Son of Man is glorified. It's that time, it's that time, I, the Son of Man, am going to be lifted up and killed. Uh, You may have noticed a glory or glorified comes up multiple times uh, in this section. Uh, Glory can be quite an abstract thing. People throw throw around that word. Uh, What do we even mean when we speak about glory? Uh, Google says it's a high renown or honour won by notable achievements. Uh, Yesterday, actually, in um, Dagenham, we had, um, well, in Romford, which is next to Dagenham, we had a football tournament, and we invited a load of non-Christian people to bring um, uh, friends and family, and we had a tournament with a gospel talk in the middle. Um, We had a league, and then we had a semi-final, and then a final... Uh, It was really great, really fun. Uh, And the winners of the tournament actually said they had received the glory. They got the glory for winning. Um, And that would kind of fit with the Google definition. Is that what glory is all about? Is that what it's all about in John's Gospel? Uh, I think it's partly like that, actually, uh, but mostly not. Glory comes up a lot here, and we've actually seen it already in John quite a bit. Uh, So, for example, in chapter 2... In, um, in John, when Jesus was at a wedding, he did a miracle to show his glory. The first time he showed his glory. It was a God-revealing thing. That's what glory is. A son of God-revealing moment. And Jesus reveals the Father's glory at many points in John. Glory in John is where we most see God. Glory is a wonderful, powerful revealing of God. Oh, John, John, when he's um, talking about these things, he probably got in mind Moses in Exodus 34, when Moses said to God, show me your glory. And Moses cannot watch God as he passes by. Moses can't actually look at him. He can't see his glory. He just sees the back of him once he's gone past. Glory seems to be where God is revealed, where his splendor and majesty and power are shown. Glory is like goddy, and something being glorified 
is to, is to be shown to be God, to be like God. It's glorious. It reveals something about the person of God. Uh, Google says, as I said, high renown or honour won by notable achievements. It's not completely wrong, but I want to change it slightly. It could be something like God renown or honour shown, revealed by notable events. As you can see in this passage, it uses glory or glorified lots. So this is speaking about huge moments of God. Wonderful, powerful, God-revealing moments. Uh, In this section, we seem to have, I think, three glorious moments. And we've already touched on the first, uh, Jesus' death. Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. So the Son of Man is glorified in death, and God the Father is glorified by what Jesus, the Son of Man, does. So through Jesus' death and his glorification, the Father, God the Father, is glorified. The Son and the Father are revealed in Jesus' death. Verse 32, if God is glorified in him, so if God the Father is glorified in Jesus, so revealed in Jesus, verse 32 continues, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. I think this must be speaking about um, the resurrection and ascension. It says God will glorify the Son in himself. That would be raising him up and will glorify him at once, ascending him to the right hand as king of all. This is clear, I think, from verse 33 when it says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. Jesus is speaking about leaving them, going to the Father. This actually makes sense with this whole section of John. The next verse, he says he'll be leaving them soon, speaking about going to the Father after his death and resurrection. And until the end of chapter 17, Jesus is speaking about what it's going to be like once he's gone. Once he's gone physically, he's going to tell them all the things that are going to happen, what it's going to be like without him. It's actually quite hard hearing for them. It's why so often he he wants to comfort them in this section and call them children. So God will glorify the Son in himself, resurrection, and will glorify him at once, ascension. Both acts that reveal God. So just so we're clear, I'm going to read verse 31 again with little bit, little added bits. Um, when he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified. So Jesus' death, the Son, is revealed. It's at the cross where we can most clearly see the Son as who he is. Back to the text. And God is glorified in him. Jesus' death, the Father is revealed. We see the Father. If God the Father is glorified in him, God the Father will glorify the Son in himself raise him from the dead, and will glorify him at once. Ascend, bring him up into the Father's presence where the Son uh, was before he came to earth. It's through Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension where Jesus is most revealed, where the Son and the Father are most revealed. It's where he and his Father are glorified, wonderfully revealed through these moments. But then you probably would ask, why use the word glory and not just revealed? And that would be a great question. 
Why hasn't it just been saying Jesus will die or rise again and go to the Father? Well, I think it's because the emphasis isn't on the acts alone, but on what the acts do. Each of our events are acts that reveal God. So the emphasis isn't on the actual acts, but on what they do regarding God. This three-pronged event is so glorious, so God-revealing, that there'd be no worry that Jesus is leaving. But he isn't here physically for us or the disciples. Actually, it, it had to be done. Jesus is comforting them and us before he leaves. It's so wonderful that Jesus leaves. This triple glorious event must be done so that this Father and Son, the Father and Son are glorified. That they can be clearly seen by all who turn to them. Isn't it incredible though that what Jesus was willing to do to glorify his Father? Go to a shameful cross, a cross, the most shameful death of the time. Jesus was willing to do that for his father. Again, I'm going to say Google says, high renown or honour won by notable achievements. So we see a lot of achievements on TV. Um, I don't know, Usain Bolt winning multiple golds, Andy Murray winning Wimbledon for the first time in, for a British guy, first time in many, 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 many years. And maybe good exam results are glorious moments, achieving grade eight in piano, I don't know. Winning dance competitions. I don't know if there's many dancers here. Um, whatever it is, we see those things as glorious moments. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying they're not great moments in life. But what is the moment when God, the Son and the Father, are revealed in all their glory? When the splendor and majesty of God is revealed? It's not gold, it's not a dance competition, it's not even grade 8 piano. Not in war, not winning golds, not stopping climate change. It's at the cross. At the cross, it's just incredible. It's ultimately through his sacrificial death, his death as a humble, crucified son of man, where his glory is fully shown, where God is fully shown. Do you ever think like that? And maybe I could challenge you this week. And when you look at things and you think that's great or that's glorious... And let it remind you of where God's glory was most seen. His incredible revelation, where that happened. Let it remind you of the man we call Lord, where his lordship and majesty was most seen. Uh, Verse 33, it says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. Jesus is leaving to be with the Father through his death, resurrection, and ascension. But what about us? What about the disciples? God the Father, God the Son are being revealed um, in all their glory through this. But what about them? How are they going to be seen as Jesus' disciples? How are they going to be revealed as Jesus' disciples when Jesus is gone? If Jesus isn't actually here physically, how will any of us be known as his disciples? Uh, Let's read from verse 33. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going you cannot come. 
A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus is going, he's going to his death to glorify his father, we've established that, and he's going to return to his father in glory. So the Lord, the Lord Jesus gives his people a new commandment, knowing that he's leaving, that they love one another as he has loved them. However, it's for a specific reason, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. The Lord gives them a new commandment that will show people they are Jesus' people. And this is our second point from the passage today. Uh, Jesus' disciples are revealed by their love for one another. Jesus' disciples are revealed by their love for one another. And we thought at the beginning about how things can be revealed. Um, If it's a sports team, uh, you can usually identify someone who plays for a sports team by what they're wearing. Um, If I was to put on, say, a body warmer with Ecolab on, um, you'd probably think I work for Ecolab. And we've seen that Jesus the Son and God the Father, uh, when they're glorified, revealed wonderfully uh, by Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension. And now we see how the apostles, and I want to say us as Christians today, will be revealed as Jesus' disciples. And this is what will show people that we're Jesus' people. Verse 34, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. I won't spend too much time into uh, what loving one another might look like um, because I don't think it's given us that in this section. Uh, but, we, but we do have a clear example in this section. Verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Uh, we, are, we as Christians are most seen as Jesus' people through following his love. His love that led him to a cross for the sake of his Father's glory and for his people. We are to love each other sacrificially, putting each other first. We are to be humble and think of what is best for each other. Are we willing to be ashamed and even crucified for each other? How has Jesus loved them? Uh, There's a great passage um, in the the rest of chapter 13, uh, It'd be good to read it. Um, He washed their feet. He loved them humbly. He humbled himself. The Lord of all humbled himself before his own people. He gets on his knees for his people. Would you do that for people sitting next to you? Do you speak to those who you maybe find hard to speak to at church? The ones that rub you up the wrong way? Or you just don't seem to have anything in common? Do you want to serve them, love them, and humble yourself before them? Are you willing to do jobs for others that no one else will? The jobs you may find gross or maybe even you think, maybe even beneath you in a past life. I don't know, are there any who need lifts, any who are lonely you could chat to? But directly in context, he loves them by going to the cross. The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's to be killed. Jesus loved his people so much that he went to a cross 
and suffered the shame that came with it for his people. The foot washing was a sign of his humbling service to his people. We know that he did humble himself even to a cross. He was shamed, ridiculed. That's the sort of love that will show outsiders, people who are not Christians, that you're Jesus' people, that you're on Jesus' team. That's the sort of love that will show everyone you're Jesus' people. That will do it as well as him standing right here and saying, you're my people. Actually, no, no, no. It will do it better than that. Because if he was standing here, then he wouldn't have been glorified and he wouldn't have glorified his father by going up and ascending. Our love for each other as Jesus loved us is what shows people that we're Jesus' people. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is it. This is how we're known as Christians. This is how we're going to be known as people who follow Jesus. We listen to the command of the Lord of all by loving each other. How will we be known as Jesus' disciples if he isn't here physically? Well, Jesus' glorification makes it possible for us to love each other in a way that makes us distinctive. We can humbly serve each other because our Lord and King first humbly serves me and you. Now, this section of John has actually really challenged me thinking about it. Um, it just randomly pops into my head, actually. Um, do people know I follow Jesus because I love Jesus' people? I think if I ask some of my family, who are not Christians, for example, what would they say? I don't know. They might say, he speaks well. That's debatable. He knows lots of Bible stuff. That's a bit debatable too. He works hard. They don't see me. But would they say he loves people? He really loves other Christians. He goes out of his way to sacrificially be there for others in the church family. There's something about the way he treats so-and-so. I'm not, I'm not sure they would. Uh, now, of course, not everyone um, sees everything we do or how we act, but the way we love each other, following in the footsteps of the great sacrificial Son of Man, that's how people will genuinely know, genuinely know that you are Jesus' people. Living in light of, in response of the glorious death of the perfect, glorious, wonderful Lord of all. How will people know with Jesus' people if he's not here? It's not through how we speak. It isn't how well you articulate the gospel. It isn't how well you do in groups. It isn't how well you know your Bible. It isn't by being involved in lots of things. It isn't even by having a t-shirt that says, I love Jesus on it. It's by what he has done and us living in light of it. Uh, let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for sending the Lord Jesus and that he was able to glorify you and you glorified him. And because of that, he's been revealed to us today. We ask that we would live in light of that, loving each other, humbly serving each other in ways that maybe we haven't in the past, that we might be a light to the rest of the world in the darkness and they might see us as Jesus' people and that they might want to learn more about, about it through that and come to know you too. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, Lee, Reese. Um, 